When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on camdenchat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is now June the 12th, 2023. The Orioles are 41 and 24 on the season after absolutely demolishing the Kansas City Royals by an 11-3 margin on Sunday afternoon, finishing a sweep of the Royals with their most lopsided victory of the year so far. And the ob- the absolute highlight of that game for me was Gunnar Henderson just hitting an amazing home run 462 feet onto Utah Street hit the warehouse on one bounce, was recorded as the longest home run ever hit onto Utah Street in the history of Oriole Park at Camden Yards, the hardest hit ball of Gunnar Henderson's career at 113.8 miles an hour off the bat, and that leaves Gunnar Henderson with a split over his last 15 games of a 354 batting average, 404 on-base percentage, and 729 slugging percentage. It was amazing. Henderson can hardly be blamed for stopping and admiring that home run ball a little bit. It was just absolutely glorious. One of those, you knew it was going a long way even before the mass and camera cut away from the batter. And sure enough, it went longer, literally longer than any Utah Street home run that has ever been hit in the history of Oriole Park at Camden Yards. So that's a good kind of history to be making. And if Gunner is capable of making that kind of contact, it's probably not going to be the last Utah Street home run he collects in his career, as Henderson, of course, is still just 21 years old. And he was asked by reporters about that after the game and said something about how he hadn't even come in to his, uh, his man strength yet. So maybe when he grows into that, he'll be hitting balls even farther and harder. I don't know uh, if, you know, he's going to get how much stronger he's going to get or what, but I know that that was a glorious home run, just absolutely amazing. And now that Henderson has gone over the last 15 games to do what he's done, among Orioles who've put together at least 100 at-bats for the season so far this year, Gunnar Henderson is now ahead of everyone except for Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes in OPS as Henderson is now up to an 804 OPS, which if he finishes the season there, that would be great. If he finishes the season even above there, that would be greater. 
Now, I did have to specify the with at least 100 at-bat threshold because there are actually two guys with less than 100 at-bats, or fewer perhaps, I should say, who are ahead of that even. And that is Ryan O'Hearn, who has batted 328 with a 380 on base and a 609 slugging percentage. So that's a 989 OPS over 24 games for Ryan O'Hearn. No, really, for Ryan O'Hearn, a 989 OPS. And then Aaron Hicks, equally as flabbergasting, he's got a 345 batting average in his 10 games with the Orioles and a 472 on base, 586 slugging percentage. So yeah, that's only 10 games. Probably it's going to settle down where Hicks is a little, well, a lot worse than that. But, you know, I wouldn't have even projected or predicted or whatever 10 good games for Aaron Hicks with the Orioles. And that's looking like that was a... Pretty okay, scrap heap, desperation pickup. And both of these things from O'Hearn and Hicks so far are pretty good signs to me because I was thinking about how the good Orioles teams of the last decade, every every time they had a team that made the playoffs, there were things, there were players who succeeded, who succeeded for them, I think, beyond what anyone even optimistic about those individual players maybe could have predicted. Like the 2012 Orioles, among others, I think the fact that Chris Davis hit 33 home runs for that team was really remarkable considering he had been kind of a fringe big league player, albeit one with recognizable potential power before that. You know, you had Nate McClough, uh, the base bandit or whatever. He had a 55-game stint for the Orioles that year that was great. Jim Johnson blossoming as the closer for the 2012 Orioles really helped him a lot. And, you know, in 2014, you had Steve Pierce as the Chris Davis replacement. You had Delman Young, who was not bad at all in the regular season, even before delivering his postseason heroics. Zach Britton stepping up as the closer was entirely unpredictable after he kind of washed out as a starting pitcher. And Britton was very good, if not as amazing as he was later in the 2016 season. And speaking of that 2016 team, Mark Trumbo coming almost out of nowhere to hit 47 home runs. His previous career high was 34. So I think even if you would have said, okay, Mark Trumbo is maybe going to hit some home runs for the Orioles, you wouldn't have predicted, okay, he's going to exceed his career high by 47. uh, Both Pedro Alvarez and Hunsu Kim over 800 OPS for the season. So, I mean... Those were the good surprises for the 2016 Orioles, and here we are in 2023. We've absolutely got some good surprises that, you know, I think that you probably could have gone into the season thinking, okay, Adley Rutschman is going to do well. Gunnar Henderson is going to do well, and now Henderson is rounding into doing well. Rutschman maybe hitting for less power than we might like, and recently has really been cold at throwing out base runners. So, okay, but he's hitting... He's got an on-base percentage that is just almost unbelievable to me, sitting at a 390 on on-base percentage with 63 games played. And even if you're a little disappointed by his slugging percentage, he's still slugging 410. So I think what I would like is if Rutschman maybe had some more doubles on his ledger. He's got as many doubles as home runs, which is eight. So, you know, that would be a plus for Adley. But you can't complain too much. He is easily one of the best Orioles and living up to any kind of hope you could have had for him, I think. And, 
But then the players who are more surprising, I mean, Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander, their performance so far this year, if they carry it through to the end of the year, would mean this is their best year of their career to date. The Tyler Wells breakout in the starting rotation, Kyle Gibson improving drastically compared to last year when he had an ERA over five. And, you know, here he is pitching in Camden Yards this year, and he's doing very well for himself. Danny Colome, 2.01 ERA in 27 games. No one could have predicted that. I mean, they only added him right at the end of spring training. Yenier Cano, similarly, although he's hit a bit of a rough patch lately, still a 1.06 ERA in 28 games. You can't complain about that. There's nothing to complain about. So, of course, we'll see how he continues to do, how any of these guys continue to do. But the conditions of pleasant surprises are there. And... I think that if the Orioles are able to keep that up over the remaining games this season, or if even half of those guys are able to keep doing what they're doing, I think that things are going to end up in a good place. So can they do it? Well, that's why they play the games, right? So the Orioles are now five and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays, who, of course, were also winners on Sunday afternoon. The Orioles have the third best record in Major League Baseball. They are just a half game behind the Texas Rangers, who were playing those same Rays over this weekend. The Orioles, they're either three or four games ahead of the Yankees. The Yankees have not played their Sunday night baseball game yet, as I'm recording this episode for you. So hopefully they lose because, duh, I always hope the Yankees lose. They're five games ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays, who the Orioles are going to play next. The Orioles are now on a 102-win pace after winning their last four games in a row, which gets them 7-5 and five through the first 12 games of what I've been calling the not-gauntlet, with two more three-game series to come this week. So they need to go at least 3-3 three and three in those remaining six games to hit my 10-8 and eight target for this period. And the next one is going to be the toughest one. The Toronto Blue Jays will be in town starting on Tuesday. Of course, the Orioles swept those same Blue Jays when the team was in Toronto this year. Hopefully that will bode well for what's coming over the next few days. But, you know, there's no guarantees, especially as the Blue Jays are the best team the Orioles have played in this little stretch of games. There's three Blue Jays who have more baseball reference wins above replacement than any Orioles so far this year. So, I mean, there's great players on the team. You've got Bo Bichette. Uh, and these are numbers not counting anything that happened on Sunday. Bo Bichette, a 3.3 war. Um, Matt Chapman, 2.7 war. And Kevin Kiermeyer, freaking Kevin Kiermeyer, we'll never be rid of him in the American League East, 2.6 war. And the best Oriole heading into Sunday was Yenier Cano with a 2.1 war. So, I mean, that's three Blue Jays who are significantly better than anyone on the Orioles, at least by that measure, so far this season. But, I mean, the Jays have had some problems. They uh, they demoted their starting pitcher, who was near a Cy Young winner last year, Alec Manoa, busted all the way down to the Florida Complex League. That's a long way from the big leagues. Now, that's probably because that's a level where they can give him more one-on-one attention or something or whatever. Um, the Jays actually had some problems in their recent series against the Twins because they lost two games when reliever Adam Simber blew two straight games, and he's now got an ERA over the sixth, over six for this season. But despite that, the Toronto Blue Jays are eight and three in the month of June. They've got a three-game sweep of the Mets. They've won three out of four against the Houston Astros over the month of June so far. So 
you know, that there's a that's a tough team. Uh, the Orioles certainly can't count on just because they swept them in Toronto, they will be able to sweep the Blue Jays in Baltimore. So, you know, I hope that the Orioles can play a good series. Now, the good news is it seems like the starting pitchers who are lined up are pitchers who've been doing well so far this year. It's uh, probably not going to be Cole Irvin going against the Blue Jays there since the Monday off day means they can um, just push the two, three, four guys and have them pitch in the series. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Neither team, as of this recording, has announced any pitcher besides Tuesday. Blue Jays starter is going to be Chris Bassett, who I uh, talked about on the last episode of this show, where he's doing pretty darn well so far this season, perhaps a little bit luckier than his FIP suggests. So who knows, maybe the Orioles will be able to start turning Bassett's luck around, or maybe Bassett will keep that low three ERA even after he pitches against the Orioles. So that's what's coming up next for the team. And, you know, I hope it keeps going well. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. All right, so let's dip into the mailbag. This one comes from listener Richard, who was reading CamdenChat.com recently and noted uh, that it was Great Oriole Ken Singleton's birthday very recently. So Richard wrote in and observed to me that the last Orioles team that won at least 100 games in the regular season had Singleton as well as Eddie Murray back-to-back in the Orioles lineup that year, and both of those guys are switch hitters. And the 2023 Orioles have two switch hitters who are back-to-back in the lineup many nights. That's Adley Rutschman and Anthony Santander. So Richard, among other things, was wondering where would uh, where would the great Murray and Singleton switch hitter uh, pair, or even individually, where do they rank in MLB switch hitter history? So Richard, I got to admit, I don't walk around with a list of the greatest MLB switch hitters just bouncing around in my head. I do have many random baseball thoughts in my head, but that's not one of them. So I Googled, and here was a little list I found on Bleacher Report. I'm going to read the top six because numbers four, five, and six all played for the Orioles. And so there, it was a top 25. So number one, Mickey Mantle. Okay, that sounds like a pretty good number one, right? Uh, number two was Pete Rose, also a pretty good hitter. Number three, Chipper Jones. Again, a great hitter. We arrive at Eddie Murray at in fourth. And although I was briefly indignant about Murray being behind Chipper Jones, because, of course, Murray is in the 3,000-hit, 500-home-run club. Jones does outrank uh, Murray for career OPS+, plus, which is amount he exceeded the performance of his peers over the course of his career when adjusting for the league offensive environment and the parks he played in. So, okay, good job, Chipper Jones. Number five, Roberto Alomar. We also saw in an Orioles uniform, pretty darn good player. And number six was Tim Raines, who we saw for uh, four games in an Orioles uniform. Not his greatest years, obviously. That was right at the end of his career. Ken Singleton was 17th on this list of the top 25. And another former Oriole, Bobby Bonilla, 
came in 24th. So, you know, either Rutschman or Santander, uh, they're going to have a lot to do to end up in that list by the time their careers are done, right? But uh, I, I, I think that seems like a fair assessment for Murray and probably Singleton too. So, Richard, there you go. If anybody has any thoughts on that switch hitter list or any other questions or topics you'd like to ask on the show, you can email just like Richard did, camdencastpod at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who has written in so far. So before we wrap up, let's talk about a prospect of the episode, and we are going to take care of the other guy who was tied for 27th place today, which is shortstop Carter Young. And Young was kind of an unusual draft story in that he was drafted by the Orioles as a 17th round pick out of Vanderbilt last year, and it was announced that he was not going to be signing with the Orioles. He had gone so far as having gone into NCAA's transfer portal, and he was heading to LSU to play his senior year of baseball, except the Orioles were going to sign their third round pick, Nolan McLean, and that effort fell through. So instead of just have the money go to waste, the Orioles pivoted and they were able to sign Carter Young for a $1.325 million signing bonus, which according to the rules counted as $1.2 million versus the, uh, against the slot value bonus pool that the Orioles had available. And they went for another overslot player in the 11th round of that draft, high school right-handed pitcher, Zach Showalter, no relation that I know of to Buck, who received a $440,000 signing bonus. And Showalter, although he was not on any prospect ranking before this season, does seem like a guy with some potential. And maybe we'll be talking about him a bit more as midseason uh, updates to some of the lists are made. So the Orioles had a good backup plan uh, available to them, even when they weren't able to sign their third round pick. And one part of good drafting is being able to have a good plan B if one of your plans falls through. So, okay. Carter Young, as a sophomore for Vanderbilt, batted 252 with a 341 on base percentage, 559 slugging percentage. Notably, he had 16 home runs in 61 games. That was as a sophomore. So, Young's problem, and the reason why he was a 17th round pick after his junior year, is that he only batted 207 as a junior. 327 on base, 383 slugging percentage, hit just seven home runs as a junior, and he struck out nearly 30% of the time. So that's going to put a damper on your draft stock, although he did still end up getting a seven-figure signing bonus. I think that if he had performed like he did as a sophomore, as a junior, he probably would have been a guy who would go in like the top 20 picks and probably would have gotten at least double uh, the amount of signing bonus that he got from the Orioles. So Young ranked at number 26 on the Fangraphs Orioles prospect list, and here's what they had to say about him. Quote, Young was a known, toolsy high school prospect who looked incredible taking infield and batting practice, then struggled in games. He can still pick it at shortstop and is an interesting bounce-back candidate, but he now projects as a glove-first infielder. Now, Young, if you've closely followed the day-to-day -day of Orioles' uh, minor league action, you probably already heard about Young because just within the last week, he went 4-for-4 four four in one game, and then he went 5-for-5 five five in the very next game. So that's a good way to get some attention. Um, the problem for Young is that even with that 9 out of 9 
uh, hits in a row. His 2023 stats through 47 games are a 237 batting average with a 346 on base and only a 339 slugging percentage with striking out in 26% of his plate appearances. So that is going to not quite have him in line for what I've been thinking of as the infield promotion chain that I am hoping will be happening soon with the Orioles, where Jordan Westberg finds his way to the major league level, probably Cesar Prieto getting promoted to uh, Norfolk, Jackson Holiday getting promoted to Aberdeen, there's not really a Delmarva guy, excuse me, Jackson Holiday getting promoted to Bowie. There's not really a Delmarva guy, even after Young's recent nine for nine, that looks like he's in line to get bumped up to Aberdeen. But Young hopefully can carry forward some of his success within the last week or so. And if he is able to do that, you know, as the Fangraphs thing said, that makes him an interesting bounce back candidate. And if he doesn't bounce back, then you know what? It's not the end of the world because although the Orioles did pay him more than $1 million to sign him, that is pocket change in uh, relation to the finances of a major league baseball team. They took a chance and I think it was a good chance for them to take. Maybe Young will work out. Maybe he won't. Uh, Of course, as with every Orioles prospect, I will cross my fingers and hope for the best for him and Maybe we will then have more to say about Carter Young beyond this one episode. Although, for now, that's really all there is to say about the guy. He's going to need to, I think, hit better to even get himself in line as a future glove-first infielder. you got to be able to conquer the low minors with better numbers than that, even to be a future big league utility infielder kind of guy. And that's just the way it is. Otherwise, you end up like... I don't know why I remember him. Uh, a former future glove first infielder was Caden Grenier, drafted uh, in the Dan Duquette years, and he never made it. He never hit enough to even be a glove first infielder. That's just the way it goes sometimes. So, Young, uh, good luck to him. And, you know, we, we'll see if there's going to be any news from the farm system this week. I'm, I'm hoping for some promotions beyond just the infielders that I've named, there's just all kinds of guys who seem like maybe they should be promoted from their current levels. I think probably somebody like Judd Fabian at Aberdeen seems like he could head up to Bowie. And there's it's just a real bounty right now of players who are doing well at their current levels and now have not exactly tiny, although not huge, small sample sizes for those levels and could probably be challenged against higher-level competition to see what they do against that competition. None greater than Jackson Holiday. I mean, that guy is just amazing. He has continued to be amazing, even while cooling off slightly over the last two weeks or so for Aberdeen. He still entered Sunday's games, having played 37 games for Aberdeen with a 470 on base percentage. The the, uh, South Atlantic League pitchers have walked him 32 times in 166 plate appearances. So, I mean, what more is there to learn? Like, they're not throwing him strikes. You got to get to pitchers who are tougher and will maybe actually challenge him. That's what I think about Jackson Holiday. But as of this recording, there's no news about him. I will cross my fingers that perhaps we will get some news of a holiday promotion to Bowie on Monday afternoon when these things are typically announced by 
the Orioles minor league teams. That's all I've got for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes will be along every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will see you again on Wednesday, hopefully with an Orioles victory on Tuesday night to talk about in that episode. In between now and then, you can leave a comment on camdenchat.com. On there, I go by the name EatMoreSK in the comments, or you can tweet at me at camdenchat on Twitter. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's!